All right. Good morning. It's good to be with you. My name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors uh, at part of Veritas, and it's a pleasure to open God's Word with you. We are marching through the book of James. If you're just here visiting, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, normally, as a church, we'd pick a book of the Bible and we work through it. We've been going slow through James, but we finally made it through chapter 1, and we're going to start in chapter 2 today. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, James chapter 2, we're going to... Uh, normally, we've been taking like two or three verses at a time. We're getting ambitious today, and we're going to take seven verses uh, in chapter two. Now, as you turn there, let me just tell you that James, uh, in our text today, uh, gives us a hypothetical. Uh, he starts out in kind of a, a command for us to avoid something, and we're going to get into that. But the hypothetical he gives is, let's say uh, somebody comes into our church who's really wealthy, uh, and we get really excited and we show them special treatment. We give them the place of honor and a good seat. Uh, but then somebody who's more poor comes into our church and we kind of ignore them and, and give them a bad seat, make them stand in the back. Uh, this is the hypothetical that James gives us. Now, he doesn't condone that behavior. He's like, hey, you got bills to pay? I get it. Uh, he's saying, no, that is not the way to treat people. Um, in fact, he gives a command right off the bat. It's the main imperative in our text, and that is to show no partiality or to show no favoritism. And it's plural. So actually it reads like show no acts, plural, of favoritism. So there could be a wide range of application for that. In fact, we could come up with our own hypotheticals that would fit that. I mean, let's say uh, um, a nice... Uh, white family comes into this church and they feel greeted and welcomed but then an african refugee family comes into this church and it feels like nobody said hi to us nobody recognized us um, we, we didn't meet anybody or let's say somebody kind of famous uh we'll, let's stay realistic locally famous like on the local news you know comes into our church and we get excited because we've seen this person on tv they get greeted by everybody they make friends and feel really welcomed but somebody that's just uh, not recognizable at all. Feels like nobody said hi to me at all. Like I didn't, I didn't feel welcomed one bit. Or, or let's say um, a, a young couple comes into this church, and everybody's excited to see them because uh, they got kids to dedicate, and we want to reach young families. This is, this is exciting. But then a senior couple comes in, and they feel like, well, I don't even know if we fit here. Nobody said anything to us. Nobody welcomed us. Uh, nobody talked to us. Or, or let's say somebody comes into our church who is really well put together, attractive, good-looking couple, and then uh, an ugly couple comes to our church. Not, hey, if you keep growing, we're going to reach ugly people eventually. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, but let's say that there's like nobody talked to us. No, nobody said it. Like, I think we would agree, like, that's not the type of behavior that we want to be. That's not how we should act. Um, and I bet there are people in this room that have been hurt by this type of behavior. That you have felt overlooked. You have felt not included. You have felt undervalued. Um, and to imagine that happening at church. At church? Of all places? Well, it's not a new problem. They, James is addressing this, and James is the earliest New Testament letter that we have. And sometimes we can glamorize the uh, first century church. If we could just get back to the first century church, if we could just be more like them. Well, they had their problems too. 
And in one of the earliest letters of the first century church, James is addressing the discrimination that their church is showing to one another. Uh, it's happening there. Now, before we get so outraged of like, how could that happen? How, how could that happen at church of all places? Um, I think we need to have a broader perspective that uh, when we at least acknowledge the problem is happening, the fact that that problem is happening at church speaks to the beauty of the gospel. Now, Here's what I mean by that. Christianity came on the scene and it was not just for one ethnic group or it wasn't just for wealthy people. Uh, It was reaching all types of people across ethnic, gender, social class lines. Like the gospel was for everybody. It was like, oh, this isn't just the God of the Jews. Like, and, I, and every group had their own kind of deities and their own religious systems, the, the gods to appease. But to hear the gospel, that there is a God who loves me, who, who uh, died to forgive my sins, who welcomes me into his family, and that applies to me. Like that reached all different types of people, Greeks, Jews, Gentiles, barbarians, men, women, rich, poor. Like the gospel reached to all those types of people and all those different types of people responded to the gospel. And now they have to figure out how to treat each other. Because out in the world, there was all kinds of distinctions. And then you come into the church and you both responded to the same gospel and you both worship the same King Jesus. But there's still these distinctions and there was challenges in how they treated each other. In fact, let's, let's look at our passage. This is uh, James chapter 2, uh, 1 through 7. It says, My brothers, show no partiality. Now, I want to stop there, and we will get through all seven verses, um, but we need to understand this command of partiality. Uh, the word partiality literally means receiving the face. Receiving the face. Like, all I saw is your face. All I saw is what's on the surface. And I made some judgments based on just all that I saw. And all I saw was your face. Like, it would be equivalent to our saying in our culture of don't judge a book by its what? Cover. Right. You don't judge a book by its cover. Because it could have a really nice cover and be a really bad book. Or it could have a really bad cover and a really good book. Like, you got to read it. you got to find out what's in there. Say, don't judge a book by its cover. But... We do. That's why we put covers and we put them on the bookshelves and we hope to attract some attention. Like we tend to judge books by its cover. Uh, you guys ever watch those uh, talent shows on TV? Like America's Got Talent. Anybody ever see that? Everybody's beneath that or above that. Like we don't actually, you guys just read books all the time, don't you? Uh, the America's Got Talent. Like there's situations where somebody will come out to do an audition and everybody's like, oh, this is going to be terrible, Right. And then they sing, and you're like, I did not expect that voice to come out of this person. Like, why are we shocked? Because we received the face. We saw a person, and we made some judgments, and we we think this is going to be bad. And then they surprise us. We tend to judge books by their cover. We tend to receive the face. Like, it happens. Um, And listen, I don't think I have to spend a lot of time convincing this room that that's wrong. that, That it's wrong to show favoritism. But listen, even though that we know it's not right to show favoritism doesn't mean we don't still struggle with it. Doesn't mean we don't still wrestle with it. Doesn't mean we don't still express it within our context. I mean, we can be a very external culture. We can be a very image-based, status-driven people. We want to be liked. We want to be seen. We want to be important. 
And then you drop like social media into the, like people's that hearts that already crave that. And we want to post and we want to project and we want to, we want to be seen this way. You can't even just take a picture of yourself. And I'm saying even if you're taking lots of pictures of yourself, maybe a sermon for another time. But you can't just do that. Like you can just snap a picture. You've got to like get the angle, you know, perk the lips or whatever. <laughs> like, like, like ladies, you know, you've got to like turn the thigh and put your hand down so your thigh looks smaller. I know the tricks. You just got called out. Right? Because we care. We care what we look like. We care how it comes across. Like we live in a world where like status, wealth, uh, looks, talent, th- those are valued. They're, they're highly valued. And it does affect how you treat people. Listen, people tend to treat other people differently based on how much money they make, how talented they are, what status they have in the community, how attractive they are. Like, it happens. And don't we want to be a group of people that no matter where you fall in that spectrum, you come here and you're going to feel welcomed? Like, don't we want to be that type of people? Some of you are like, I don't know. I mean, how ugly are they? Right? No, we want to be that group of people. You guys are staring at me like, I'm not quite sure. It's okay to interact a little bit here. It's definitely like we want to be that group of people. In fact, I got an email a couple weeks ago from somebody in our church that says, I know this text is coming. Uh, and this person would have put themselves in the poor category. And they said, I just want you to know that I felt really loved and welcomed at Veritas. I was like, oh, that's awesome. I love hearing that. But I bet other people would have a different story. In fact, when I preached this message last week in uh, Cedar Rapids, somebody came up to me after the first service and said, I've been going here three years. Today was the first person anybody said hi to me. I mean, we don't want to be that type of people. Like, but, but it happens. So... So rather than me just saying, hey, favoritism is wrong, don't do it. I think maybe a more helpful question or a route about this is to say or ask, why do we show favoritism? Why does it happen? I mean, what's going on in our hearts that would tend to lead people to act that way and treat people that way? So, so why do people show favoritism and how do we overcome it? So that's where we're going. Let's, let's read all seven of our verses now. James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Like it, it's kind of talking about like taking bribes. Um, but listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world or in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Now, I don't know if you picked it up and just kind of reading through our text there, um, but it could seem like God is both condemning and practicing favoritism. Did you see that? Because he's saying, hey, don't show favoritism. Don't treat rich people better than poor people because I've chosen poor people. Is he saying like, hey, don't, don't treat rich people better than poor people because God, I have chosen the poor people over the rich people. Like, wait a second, are you like condemning favoritism and then practicing it? 
Like, this is confusing. Like, what, what is he trying to get at here? Now, if that was the case, that wouldn't make sense with the rest of Scripture. Now, we looked at this earlier uh, in James, but the examples laid out in Scripture are plenty of you have uh, godly rich people and ungodly rich people. And you have godly poor people and ungodly poor people. It's not about how much money that you make. Now, the confusing part is uh, the word poor gets talked about in different ways in Scripture. There is uh, poor materially, and there is poor spiritually. Or maybe the best example of this is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, there's other examples of that as well. But you get kind of poor talked about differently. And you're like, what, what kind of poor are you talking about here? Well, the opposite of poor materially is wealthy or wealth. The opposite of poor spiritually is pride. So it's not um, rich is bad and poor is good. It's prideful, oppressive, earthly status loving is bad, but humble, dependent on God, heavenly focused is good. Now, to further confuse it, sometimes it seems like the meanings of those get used interchangeably. Which one are you talking about here? Well, often because the, the groups kind of overlapped. There was like uh, the wealthy, material wealthy people tended to lean into arrogance and oppression. So there's times even Paul addressed uh, in First Timothy 6, you know, uh, tell the rich people not to be arrogant. Well, why is he just talking to them? Because of their power and status, it tended to lead them to kind of default into a position of arrogance. Whereas poor people, it's like, I don't have any status in society. I'm in a humble disposition already. So there's like groups of people that would kind of tend that way. So the way that it's talked about can be confusing. But it's not about how much money you have or you don't have. It's about, now get this, it's about what you love. What you love. In fact, look at verse 5. Let me show you this. Verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who what? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you help me out. I appreciate that. <laughs> help everybody else out too. Those who love him, right? That, that's what it's called for. It's like it's, he's promised to those who love him. This comes down to who or what you love. This is, this is like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. This isn't just about uh, rich versus poor. This isn't just even about social status. Like, there is a deeper issue under here. This comes down to what you love or who you love. Where, where is your heart going? This is about, do you love God or do you love the world? It's the manly beard. It's no shave November. This is about, do you love God or do you love the world? And James is going to bring this up more. In fact, uh, like Matthew said, our next deeper dive is going to get into worldliness. In chapter 4, um, James says, um, let me find it. He says, you, verse 4, you adulterous people, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's like these, these don't go together. And there, there's, a, there's an, a concern about worldliness to the followers of Jesus. In fact, the way that chapter 1 ends is with this, this warning to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's how chapter 1 ends. And then you get into chapter 2, and he's like, and you guys are showing favoritism. And you guys are uh, showing preference to wealthy people. Here's what he's saying. I think you got world stains all over you. 
I want you to get un- be unstained from the world. But when I look at you, you got worlds you know, spilled all over your shirt. I can see it by the way you treat people. You are valuing the things of the world. You got worldliness on you. And then it ends this way. It says, but you have, you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones those who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? So it ends with a series of questions. And the, the answer to all those is yes. Yes. Are the rich ones the ones who oppress you? Yes. Are the ones who drag you into court? Yes. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Yes. So James is saying, so why are you showing favoritism to them? Why do you want to be in their social circle so bad? Why do you love this earthly status so much? Or we could, we could bring it into our setting a little bit more. Um, that celebrity that has no moral compass whatsoever and does not love King Jesus... Why do you want to get your picture with them so bad? And why do you want their autograph? Or that guy at work or school who openly mocks Christians, why do you care so much about what he thinks? And why are you working really to get in his good side? Like, why why do we want to fit in this world so bad? Why do you buy into these systems that wealthy people and attractive people and talented people, those are the cool people. Do you get that in the scripture? No. So why are you living that way? Why are you buying into this worldly stuff? You're getting stains all over yourself. You can see it in the way you treat people. Why do you envy those people? Why are you craving that stuff? Why do we show favoritism? Because... When you show partiality to the wealthy, to the beautiful, to the talented, to the powerful, it is a window into what you love and value. And what you love and value shapes how you treat people. This text is not just about don't show favoritism. This is about how you treat people. Because there's two types of mistreating people in this text. There is showing partiality to the wealthy and dishonoring the poor. Both are different ways to mistreat people. He's saying this is about how you treat people and how the gospel should shape how you treat people. Why in the example that James gives is somebody showing preference to the wealthy person? Because they love wealth. Why in the example that James gives is somebody dishonoring the poor person? Because that poor person doesn't have what they love. They don't have wealth, and they love wealth. It's like you see, you see what you treasure and how you treat people. Listen, when somebody doesn't have what we treasure, whatever that is for you, we can tend to despise them. We can tend to overlook them. We can tend to devalue them. And then on the other hand, when we see what we treasure in someone else, they got the house I want. They, got the, they drive the car I want. They got the job I want. They got the spouse I want. They got the talents that I want. They got the income that I want. Whatever it may be, you see that in someone else? It's either going to come out in envy that leads to favoritism or jealousy that leads to resentment. Like you can see somebody who has the things that you treasure, and you could think, I want to be their friend. 
Or you could see somebody that has the things that you treasure and you can despise them. For example, uh, Simon, he comes up and plays drums sometimes or leads, he's a Jesus-looking guy, long hair, beard, or at least by the pictures that we know. Uh, he drives a Jeep, and I covet his Jeep. Uh, I openly covet his Jeep. I'm working on it. But he has a really nice Jeep. And I, he, now, Simon's a super nice guy. He's like, yeah, drive it anytime you want. And I was like, oh, yeah, but it'll never happen. Uh, and I just always walk by it on my way to my uh, beat-up truck, and I just envy his Jeep. Now, I can look at Simon's Jeep, and I can make it to, I could respond in two ways. I could be like, I want to be Simon's friend. Because then, then maybe he'll let me drive it, or then maybe he'll let me borrow it. Or I could look at Simon's Jeep, uh, and every time I see Simon, I'd be like, I hate you. I want to key your Jeep, right? You, you can have that kind of, like, you could respond in different ways. And I'm telling you guys, uh, both are a type of bondage. Both are a type of bondage brought on by overvaluing the wrong things. And you can, you can see, or it's a sign of how much material things, wealth, status, looks, whatever it is, has a hold on you. And you can see it in how you treat people. You can put it this way. How we treat people is often a window into our own idolatry. How we treat people is often a window into our own idolatry. So let me ask you just some like personal questions here. You don't have to answer them out loud, but I want you to think about it. Uh, do you find yourself giving special attention to a certain group of people? Athletes. Wealthy. Attractive. Talented. Or on the other side, do you find yourself despising a certain group of people? Wealthy, attractive, talented, smart, powerful. Why? What is that saying? I mean, it's easy just to say we should show favoritism, but we have to ask ourselves, why are we showing favoritism? Like, what is my unique expression of favoritism telling me about my own heart? And my own idolatry. And we need to do this because until we know where it's coming from, we won't be equipped to deal with it. We, we won't actually be able to repent of it. And we'll make false conclusions of what the problem really is. We will think, yeah, I just need to be nicer. I should really be more fair. I should stop judging books by its cover. Yeah, but you did. Like That happened. Why? What, what, what's going on to cause that? What's underneath those expressions of favoritism or those expressions of jealousy or those expressions of envy or those expressions of mistreating people? Like, what's going on in your heart for that? Because I think James is telling us, like, there are deeper issues happening than just favoritism and treating rich people better than poor people. That's what he's getting at. It's not just that favoritism is wrong. It's that favoritism is not compatible with Christianity. It's not compatible. One, it's against the character of God. Here, here's a passage. This is Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10. We get it on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 10. All right. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving, food to him, uh, giving him food and clothing. Here's Leviticus 19. You shall not you shall do no injustice in court. You shall be or you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. 
And just give you one from the New Testament, just so don't think it's just an Old Testament thing. This is Acts chapter 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no, what's that word? Partiality, same, same word we see in our text. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So you see, like, it's not even, it doesn't, it's not compatible with the character of God. Like, it doesn't mix. So, so when James is pressing in on them with their expressions of partiality, uh, he's saying it's not a division between rich and poor. It's a division between following God or following this world. You want to know the real division? The real division happening here is you're calling yourself a Christian and you're acting like a pagan. You're calling yourself a Christian and you're valuing the things the pagans do. You're calling yourself a Christian, but you've got worldliness all over you. In fact, uh, this is, let me read one more. This is in Sermon on the Mount. This is uh, Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after those things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now the Gentiles is a way of like referring to people who don't believe in God. He's like, the people that don't believe in God worry about all those things. You're acting like people that don't believe in God. And you know what he says right before this verse? Oh, you of little what? Faith. This is what James is saying. He's saying your partiality, it's a faith problem. It's not just a how you treat people problem. It is a faith problem. And this is what we have to understand. For James, like, faith gets practical. It's faith that works. It's a faith that kind of impacts all of your life, how you think, how you feel, and how you treat people. And when James looks at this church, this group of believers, and sees them mistreating people and showing partiality, he's like, faith problem. That's a faith problem. Like, there are roots to this. In fact, uh, look at verse 1. It says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the what? Faith. Or if you go down to verse 5, I don't know if I have this one for you, but I bet you'll get the answer right. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? It's a faith issue. So look back at verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith. Uh, Literally in Greek, you would say, you do not have faith while receiving the face. So when you just receive the face... You don't have faith. Like when you treat people that way, there's an absence of faith happening when you behave that way. There's a breakdown of faith when you uh, have an envy that leads to favoritism. Now, I know the pushback because you're like, come on, just because I like uh, have this draw towards wealthy people or talented people or kind of have a desire, some ambitions there doesn't mean I don't believe in God. And if you think that way, James has written for you. Because he's challenging people on their very limited view of what faith is and isn't. In fact, he'll get into this when, uh, further on in chapter 2. He's like, faith without works is dead. You believe in God, great, so do demons. I'm not talking about this kind of generic type of faith. I'm talking about a faith that shapes your life. That impacts how you live, how you think, how you feel, how you treat people. So James isn't saying that those people who are showing favoritism don't believe that God exists. I mean, it's happening at church. What James is saying is those that are showing favoritism don't believe that God is enough. Is it? Oh, yeah, I believe in God, but I, but I want this. And I think I need this. And this will make me feel better. And I chase after it. And you can see it in how you treat people. Now, here's what's awesome about this text. You notice that those struggling with overvaluing riches wanting the wealth, what does he remind them of? Look at verse 5. 
Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? You are heirs of the kingdom of God. Have you forgotten that? There are some amazing promises given to people who love God in Scripture. That he is a way preparing a place for you. That you will be fellow heirs with Christ. That you can store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust won't get to it or destroy it. Amazing promise. And James looked at these people who are like craving wealth and status. And he's like, why do you want that so bad when you got this? Why do you want this earthly status so bad when you have heavenly status? Why do you want earthly standing and acceptance so bad when you have heavenly acceptance and acceptance from God? Why do you want to be wealthy here on earth when you've got treasures in heaven? Like, do you, do you not make that connection? Have you forgotten that you were heirs? Because when you chase after those things and treasure those things and try to grab those things and, and love those things so much, you've got a faith problem. You have a faith problem. You are failing to be satisfied in Christ. You're failing to believe that you already have status and value and belonging in Christ. And you can see it in how you treat people. So James is saying your favoritism is a faith issue. But there's something very specific about that that they're not believing that is essential to Christianity. That if you don't get this, like your Christianity is weak. It's, it's unfruitful. It doesn't change your life at all. Like they're failing to believe something very specific and something very foundational about God. That's leading to this. And my fear is too many church-going people also fail to believe this. That you miss it. And it's something that if you miss, Christianity loses its its power, its heart, its core. Look look at verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. That is a weird or unusual tagline. Why would James include that? What is he trying to say to these people? Saying that Jesus is the Lord of glory. Glory means weight or importance or significance. Right? He's saying so so often in Christianity, we have this version that is just a further extension of our own self-centeredness. Yeah, I want to be rich. And I want to be popular. And I want to be powerful. And I want to be cool. And I want this. And I want to be forgiven. And I want to live in heaven forever. It's just an extension of your own self-centeredness. And we don't need Christianity, a version of Christianity that just kind of extends your self-centeredness. We need a Christianity that wrecks your self-centeredness and puts God on the throne. And he's saying, you don't see the Lord of glory. You're missing this. You're missing how awesome God is. You think it's about you. You've made it about you, and you're not seeing the glory of Jesus Christ. So, if glory means weight and importance and significance, now we've got to look back at the hypothetical example that James gives, because we might have missed something. James does not say that a wealthy person came into their church. That's not the words that he used. Now, we can make that conclusion contextually, but that's not what he says. And what he says matters. Look back at what he says. For a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly. You could rent that back then. So what James is saying, it's not just that he has wealth, 
He's wearing wealth. What he has on says, I'm important. Look at me. I have status. I have, I have weight. I have significance. Treat me as such. What he is doing is he is wearing his glory, and you all bought into it. You all were impressed by it. You all thought that was weighty, and it's not weighty. You're not seeing the weight of Jesus Christ. So you're settling for lesser weights, lesser significance. You don't know the Lord of glory. I mean, that's what he's saying. And and there's a sense of it's like, yeah, I know Jesus loves me. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm an heir of the kingdom. But I really want this job. And I really want this Jeep. And I really want this acceptance. And I really want to fit in here. And I really want them to like me. And if I really want to feel important or valuable or significant, I need money. I need acceptance. I need power. I need standing. And he's like, oh, you don't know the Lord of glory. You're looking for glory in all the wrong places. You think that's weighty because you don't know the weight of Jesus Christ. You have given that too much weight in your life. So, let me ask you. Are you giving weight, too much weight to how you look or what you make? Are you trying to kind of display your value in the wrong things? I remember my freshman year at ASU, I was right after camp. And we got team-issued, uh, I was on the football team, we got team-issued, like, warm-ups with our name on it. Like, you couldn't go to a store and get this. This was, like, just for the team. Uh, so what did me and a bunch of other freshmen do? We put them on, and we went to the mall, because that's what you do back then. You go to the mall. And we were walking around the, the mall in our team-issued uh, warm-ups. And uh, what did that say, besides that we're morons? Uh, what we were like, look at us. We have status. We're on the team. We're important. Notice me. Look here. I mean, maybe you don't have a nice warm-up suit. <laughs> or maybe you don't have a gold ring. Maybe it's really form-fitting clothes because you find your value in your figure. Maybe it's name brand clothes because you find your status in your wealth. Maybe it's how you steer every conversation back to your own accomplishments. Like, what are you doing to display your own worth and value to other people? And could it be that the problem is you're putting too much weight in the wrong things? And you're not seeing the Lord of glory? The real weighty one? Here's another way to put it. If you are showing favoritism or jealousy or envy over those kind of superficial things, then you're not giving Jesus the weight or enough weight in your life. You're missing it. You don't understand his glory that he is better than anything this world can offer. There's some passage in Philippians that I would love to point to that we're going to skip. Read it. Paul believed it as well. But if you believe what you have in Christ, who you are in Christ, it's a faith killer. Or excuse me, faith is a favoritism killer. Like when you really believe what you have in Christ and who you are in Christ, it kills favoritism. Because when you're in awe of God, other people are a lot less impressive. 
And when you're in awe of God, other people are a lot less threatening. Believing the right things about God shapes how you treat people. So listen to me, church. When we are satisfied in Christ, when you know who you are in Christ, when you know what you have in Christ, we are more free to love others. We don't need them to like us. We don't need them to approve of us. We don't, we don't need to buddy up to get this from them. We, we don't need to be intimidated by what they have because we're overwhelmed with what we have in Jesus Christ. The gospel means that you have nothing to prove and no one to impress. Isn't that free? That's the gospel. The gospel means you have nothing to prove and no one to impress because of who you are and what you have in Christ. You are heirs in the kingdom. And when you know that about yourself, it'll show up in how you treat people. So here's the action step. Kill the favoritism in your heart with the gospel in your head. Kill the favoritism in your heart with the gospel in your head. And here's why I say that. Because we all still feel that pull. I want to be liked. I want to be accepted. I want to be approved of. I want to be thought well of. Like it's in us. Like we feel that draw. You have to confront that with the gospel. Your own standing in Christ Jesus. I think that's what James is doing here. I think James is pastoring people. Because what does he say twice in this? My brothers. And then verse 5. My beloved brothers. James is being a pastor here. And when he looks at the flock that he loves. And he sees them mistreating people. Showing favoritism to wealthy people. He, he reminds them. Do you not know that you're heirs of the kingdom? Do you not know the Lord of glory? Are you looking for glory in all the wrong places? And is that leading you to mistreat people? Is that where you guys are at? Let me give you a phrase to kind of chew on and take with you here. Treat people better by treasuring God more. Treat people better by treasuring God more. Make God more weighty in your life. Make what he says about you more weighty than what other people say about you. Make what you have in Christ more weighty than what the world offers. You will find a sense of freedom when you believe that. And it will show in how you treat people. So I'm going I'm to leave you with uh, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? That's our hope. That we would be those who love him. This isn't just a be nicer issue. This is a worship issue. This is a what you love issue. This is a what you value and treasure issue. And when we love and value and treasure Jesus Christ, when what he says and what he offers and what he tells about us is more weighty than the world, we will be free. We will have nothing to prove and no one to impress, and it will show in how we treat people. You need to be reminded of the Lord of glory. You need to be reminded that you are heirs of the kingdom. You need to be reminded to to break free from the world and kind of showing favoritism, valuing the wrong things. You need to be reminded, church, you, listen to me, you are loved by God. And that is the best news in the whole world. And if you need help remembering that, that's why we do communion every week. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And we love, as 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. 
We love the rich person. We love the poor person. We love the powerful person. We love the weak person. Why? Because we are loved by God. We are loved by God. And when we know we are loved by God, it will shape how we love others. May that be true of us. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect on your love towards us through Jesus Christ on the cross and what that means, that we are completely forgiven, that you, despite our sin and rebellion against you, still care for us, pursue us, forgive us, redeem us, that you make us a part of your family, that we are heirs in your kingdom. I pray that the grip of this world would just fall off, that we would see that we do not need the approval of this world. We do not need the acceptance of individuals. We do not need the status that this world offers because of what we have in you. I pray that we would find freedom in remembering what we have in Christ Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen.